Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome, guys and gals, to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. Then we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, persuasion, networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I'm also doing regular videos and drills with exercises to help you move forward every single week. That'll be delivered to your inbox as well. I also want to encourage you to join us in this first social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or you can text CHARMED to 33444, and we'll have you text us your email instead, no spam, and it works much better when you're not in front of your computer. This challenge is about improving your social capital and inspiring more people to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. During the first four weeks, we're going to be giving away something special as well, so keep your eyes open for details, and the challenge will get progressively more difficult, so if you think it's easy, great, and it will make you a better networker and connector. Now, last thing, if you want to have accountability, invite your friends to join at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or have them text CHARMED to 33444, and they can join the challenge too. Today we're talking with Jay Samet, author of Disrupting You. We're gonna talk about why creativity and the process of coming up with billion dollar ideas is something that you too can access, disruptors at work and the value of something called intrapreneurship, how the CEO of Google photobombed Bill Clinton, how to know when to quit, and why more entrepreneurs are killed by praise than anything else. So enjoy this episode of The Art of Charm with Jay Samet. Tell us what you do in one sentence. I disrupt industries to unlock value. And what do you mean by value? Let's start from the end. So that value can either be financial, that value can be uh, knowledge, that value can be whatever is the purpose for why a person wants to change the world, so to speak. And what does it mean to disrupt an industry then? Is it like how Uber disrupted the transportation industry or especially the taxi industry? Exactly. So I hired the first guy to create an auction on the internet that became eBay. I worked with Reed Hoffman, LinkedIn, 
Uvu is video chat used by 100 million people. I've worked with major studios. I've worked with the Vatican. I've worked with the White House. Each has different needs. And we live in a time of what I call endless innovation. So the ability to transform yourself and the world has never been easier. You're one click away from 6 billion people. So really, it's about a mindset of how do you want to go about changing the world. What is the Vatican doing on the internet? Uh, so this was about uh, 15, 20 years ago. They felt that they were losing a generation to video games. How can you create something on a computer that young people would find entertaining and enjoyable and a gateway uh, for them? So we did the history of Western music, Western art, and the church. Uh, Sir Peter Ustinov hosted it. Uh, narrated it. We recreated Galileo. We had access to the archives. We recorded the church squire and we made a major production that was successful as CD-ROMs all over the world. Interesting. And so, total side note, they weren't big fans of Galileo back then. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> Anybody that changes, I mean, you know, changing where you think the earth is the center of the universe, uh, big idea to change that to make it the sun. But nowadays, you're one click away from 6 billion people. So you can become a billionaire in just a nanosecond of getting it right. And that's why we see so many people in their 20s that are doing these amazing things that would have taken generations to accomplish before. Why do we need to disrupt to unlock the value in an industry? Because the world was operating a certain way. So by definition, that value is in someone else's hands. So it takes a new idea, a new way of doing things, a vast improvement to unlock that value. So give, give you a great example, the difference between innovation and disruption. Go back to the Bronze Age. Somebody discovered bronze. They could make a little knife. They could stab you. Over the years, innovation was turning that knife into a sword, a longer sword, a better sword, until you get to that scene with Indiana Jones in the streets of Cairo, where the guy has the giant scimitar and he's waving it around and Indy pulls out the Smith & Wesson. Boom. That's disruption. The second that handgun came along, no one cared about making a better sword. Right. Yeah. So the largest media company in the world is Facebook. They create no media. The largest transportation company is Uber. They own no cars. Airbnb puts more people in beds at night than any hotel chain, and they own no hotels. Alibaba is the largest retailer, larger than Amazon, and they have zero inventory. What do these things all have in common? They've completely disrupted their businesses by using big data, using the internet, using mobile, using the way we're all connected to provide better solutions for people. So if I'm not in my 20s, or even if I am, but I, I'm not really that interested in the pursuit of becoming a billionaire. I just, you know, I work for Ford, or I'm a stay-at-home mom, or I have a regular job, or even if I'm an entrepreneur, but not really going that big, and we don't want to disrupt an entire industry because it sounds like a hell of a lot of work, what can we take from what you teach? Well, sure. So disrupt you, that's really the second third of it. The first third of it is everybody wants to, you know, change the world, but people don't realize it starts with changing themselves. And so self-disruption is really about unlocking your potential, something that you, you believe in and talk about. And what is the most surprising thing is that most of us put artificial limitations on us because what we were told as children of what we can and cannot do. There's, there's a great story in, in the book that a professor, and they've done this now for 60 years, gives one of those fill-in-the-oval personality assessment tests. You fill in all the ovals, you do it for hours, they put it into the computer, they come back, and they give all the hundreds of students their results. 
And for 60 years, 80 plus percent of the people say this test absolutely nailed your personality. One secret the professor hasn't told you, everybody gets the same result. The answering the question filling the oval was a complete charade. The point is we tend to believe what we're externally reinforced. So if you can stop believing what you're told, I was dyslexic. I was put in the dumb reading group. I therefore am dumb. Somebody else might be told that they can't do math or they're not good at sports. And we then put those limitations on. And as we grow, it limits our chance to have success. You know, the purpose of life is to have a life of purpose, to create and do something that you won't be here forever, but maybe something you touch will. So why limit yourself when opportunity right now is limitless? So it doesn't have to be about money. It can be about changing the educational system. It can be about the environment. It can be, you know, something local, the sharing economy. What I like about what you have written and what I've read online as well is you've stated that whether by choice or by circumstance, at least it was in the context of careers, everyone's career gets disrupted. Office automation, self-driving cars, 3D printing, that's making us obsolete, and the fact that we aren't interested in it or don't like it or don't care about it or don't want to pay attention to it is completely irrelevant. Correct. So what used to happen is, ooh, I got the safe job. I'm at the big company. I'm at the Fortune 500 company. So the old expression was security robs ambition. Well, in fact, it's the illusion of security that robs ambition because the Fortune 500 companies of the original list, only 57 are still Fortune 500 companies. The likelihood that you will be there to get that watch after 40 years of trading your life, it seems insane that people do that. Every day you are exchanging this gift, this amazing ability to be alive, for what? When I talk to large audiences around the world, I always start off with one very basic question, which makes the room go to silence. Are you living your life or just paying bills until you die? Wow. Yeah. Let that sink in. Because I think most of us are paying bills until we die. And so when did you give up that exchange that you weren't a value, that you couldn't have happiness? You know, would the fourth grade version of Jordan be proud of the grown-up Jordan? What happened to your dreams? And what we find in most cases is we give up on our dreams because we listen to people that gave up on theirs. You can't do this. You can't do that. And yet the only people that ever changed society, led a company, led a nation, were people that didn't follow the path of someone else. People that weren't afraid to fail. And I talk at length and disrupt you about the difference between failing and failure. Failing is learning what doesn't work. Failing is the greatest thing to success. Failure is throwing in the towel. So back to what you quoted, whether by choice or what's already happening, your world will be impacted by change. So it's either an obstacle or an opportunity. The choice is yours. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. What can we do about that? Let's say, listening to this, of course, we want to say, all right, well, let's turn obstacles into opportunities instead of essentially roadblocks because we don't really have a choice. I mean, people who see them as roadblocks and try to fight them are going to fail in the bad way, in the bad sense of the term. So if we know that every obstacle is an opportunity in disguise, how do we actually use that to our advantage instead of just having a really cool bumper sticker? Right. So... There's two things that you're going to need to be successful, and they're both within your reach. The first is that big idea or idea that you're going to pursue, and we can talk about how to get that in a second. The second is persistence. Everything else you can hire. So you have to first look and say, what is the basis of all business 
And the basis of all business is solving problems for somebody else. If you solve for millions of people, you become a millionaire. So what are problems that you have in your life that you wish you didn't have? Instead of just wishing, what can you do and how do you build and how do you start looking? You don't need to know all the steps. The key is to work backwards from the solution. And so the second you can start saying, what is new in the world that can solve that? Wow, nobody has done this. And as you go down that path, you will discover more insights because nobody else has journeyed there because the world is different from when the last person looked at it. My property teacher in law school said, famously, kind of, because he was a well-known dude, that if you have a new idea, it's either not very good or it's total crap or not new. And if we're looking at the world and we see it differently than somebody else, or it's different than when somebody else last looked at it, it sounds like you would disagree with that sentiment because things are moving so quickly that you are able to come up with new ideas that no one has had yet that are actually good. Yeah, so the mere fact that he became a teacher, you know, answers my question of what I think about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm the guy that took on all the lawyers in the world when they all said they'd win on Napster and I sued Napster. Story for another day. Let's just take down some basic changes, okay? Write down three problems that you have in your life today and do that for a month. You'll have 90 ideas. Each day it gets harder because you start having to look at things that you assume are unchangeable and realize that they are a problem that you can change. So a basic one, you were in traffic this morning. I can do nothing about that. There's no new ideas for traffic. Well, somebody was stuck in traffic in Tel Aviv and said, wait a second, the phone company knows my phone's in my car. It can tell me to go left and the car next to me to go right, and we can instantly cut traffic in half. That was the basis of a company called Waze. Never sold a nickel and sold the company for billions. Is that not a better idea? I'll give you another one that somebody came up to me after a talk. Have you ever seen those Happy Meal watches that are like, you know, they cost like six cents, a little digital watch? Yeah. Okay. Like, and then like on it is some Muppets or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So take that watch, which costs six cents to make, and put that on the top of a medicine bottle. And every time you close the lid, it starts the countdown clock. Did I remember to take my pills at breakfast? Oh, it says it's been four hours since I've touched this bottle. No, I didn't take my pills. Or yes, it says it's been four minutes. Oh, right before Jordan called, I took it. You've now improved efficacy of medication, which is a multi-billion dollar issue, which saves society billions of dollars by getting people healthier, quicker, and off the of meds faster. You didn't have to invent the watch. You didn't have to invent the pill bottle. The big mistake is people think that it's like Doc Brown and Back to the Future, that you have this, you know, eureka moment of the flux capacitor, when in fact, it's looking at things that already exist in different ways. Gutenberg did not invent the press. He invented the printing press. There was a surplus of people taking wine presses and making Rieslings in Germany 500 years ago. It became so much easier to use an olive press to make wine that everybody went into the wine business, everybody went broke, and there were a bunch of surplus presses sitting around that you could buy for nothing. And Gutenberg looked and go, wow, maybe that would work with my movable type. It wasn't that he invented this complex machine. And so much of the innovation that we see nowadays is taking changes, like we talked about traffic, and now that we have mobile phones, the world is fundamentally different than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. So the most of the big ideas, when you look at the internet of things, 3D printing, self-driving vehicles, the world changes.
Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to Jay Salmon. So basically, what it sounds like you're saying is take some simple things that you see that already exist and try to put them together. And they don't have to be simple. I take it back. Try to take things that already exist and put them together almost like Legos, except with ideas. So we're looking at a problem that you have, what technology plus what other technology could solve this or could make it easier? Because a long time ago, once we saw that phones had GPS, me and a friend of mine, I think it was actually AJ, my business partner here, were talking about how cars would route each other because there would be a server that would know where all of these phones are. Correct. And it would simply route some traffic 
in one way and other traffic another way, knowing full well where all of the cars are. And, and of course, the stopping block was not everyone's going to have the app on. There's going to be problems with that. But it's very solvable, especially if you attack it at the top level. And in order to do that, you would have to build some sort of critical mass, right? So I think people are making the mistake of saying, well, you know, you could never do anything like Waze before Waze existed, because you'd have to get buy-in from the telco, and you'd have to have this massive server power, so you'd have to get Google to rent it to you, or Amazon, and that's never going to happen. Or you'd have to buy it, so you'd have to raise funding. And really, you don't have to do any of that. What you would have really needed for the version point zero one alpha of ways you would have needed an, a real-time traffic map which already existed and you would have needed a GPS map that shows other routes where there isn't that much traffic which would have been very very easy and already existed probably on everyone's phone and then you just marry them together and add some gamification features and a few tweaks here and there to optimize it and I'm sort of using that as a deliberate understatement now you have a billion dollar company that's invented very little by way of actual functionality. Correct. And we can go chapter and verse a million. The whole big thing the past year was the Uber of this and the Uber of that. And yet most people miss the biggest innovation of Uber. Uber has 1 million drivers. Let that sink in for a second. 1 million human beings that report to a piece of software. They've never spoken to anyone at the company. They do not have a boss. They report to Skynet. Okay. They get paid that way. They get employed that way. They get hired and, and all that same thing will happen to tons of industries that have nothing to do with cars. What will cars be when you're not occupied? The only reason Google and Apple are getting into cars is not to sell steel at a higher price, but to deliver advertising and services and movies and entertainment when your vacation starts the second you leave your house. So you can start imagining new services and needs. I literally just drove from uh, Oregon down to Los Angeles for the sole purpose of pretending it was a self-driving car. What would I be doing differently? What would I want to know about the next town, the environment? What are the new businesses that come out? What does 3D printing change when 3D printing is printing meat, printing organs, printing buildings, printing uh, medications? You really start seeing that the world is rapidly evolving and you had a billion dollar idea but you didn't believe that you jordan could make it happen yeah frankly wasn't that interested in the idea but yeah i i definitely didn't think it was possible i was thinking how the hell are we going to get server time developers and buy-in from the telco that was the big objection that we had with that idea and every idea you know first they laugh at you and then they talk about how they knew you once All these big ideas, first of all, didn't start out as great ideas. Most of them started as a okay idea. And when they got into it, you discover something solid that you pivot. I have an expression that the purpose of an idea is to kill it, not to nurture it. Find everything wrong with it before you start spending money on customer acquisition. Just destroy it. And I teach how to build a high-tech startup at USC, the large engineering school. I noticed that so many people didn't understand the basics of what drives business, though they were brilliant MBAs or brilliant engineers. It's not about that knowledge set. It's not about coding. All that can be hired. It's really about problem solving and looking at the world as a series of pieces. And the value chain in a business, not all links in the chain are equal. So just focus on the one where you can capture the most return for your investment and throw off all the rest and outsource all the rest. 
So where do we begin with this? Because it can be really tough. You know, of course, yes, we came up with these great ideas back in the day and everybody else had some sort of similar idea. Oh, I thought of something like that. And we even see it in crappy infomercials. You know, the one where the girl goes, I thought of a mop that has a replaceable head that you throw away. And I called it the Swiffer. And now the Swiffer took it. And they're like, do you want to sue this person? Call this attorney. We've all had these great ideas. But how do we manufacture them deliberately instead of just having them in the shower? So I'll give you a great example. There was a woman who got a sales job working in Florida. It's hot, it's sweaty, it's humid, and she was required to wear pantyhose. She wanted to wear sandals. Pantyhose looked stupid in sandals. She tried cutting out the toes. She finally perfected her little thing. She knows nothing about the pantyhose business. She went to talk to people. They all laughed at her. Somebody literally ripped up her card in her face. So her first step was she went to Barnes & Noble. She didn't have any money to her name. She bought patents for dummies. She wrote her own patent. And you know her as Sarah Blakely Spanx. She's a billionaire. Okay. Now, obviously, I'm leaving out a whole bunch of steps. But the first thing, she had the belief that she could figure it out. She didn't take no for an answer. She refined her ideas and she surrounded herself and started to build a team. It is that simple process. And it doesn't have to be technology. It can be about, I want to open a restaurant. Everybody thinks, ooh, here's a great location. I have a good recipe. That has nothing to do with what makes a restaurant successful. You have to figure out where is value captured and where is value lost. If you were able to give people a place to get started, where would you begin? I would begin when you wake up. There are two things that you have to literally say to yourself and believe. One is that today can be better than yesterday. And two, I have the power to make it so. Now, that sounds like tree-hugging bumper sticker talk. In reality, what you will find is it puts you in a positive frame of mind to see opportunities. You'll never hear a good idea from a person in a negative state of mind in a funk. They're just shutting down. So you're shutting down the greatest opportunity right in front of your nose and you won't see it. When you look at people that are successful, and we talk about people that have used this, you know, Jim Carrey, when he was homeless, writing a check to himself for $10 million and putting a date on it. Now he has a date and a time frame to get on those steps. That's probably the place where you start. The belief that you can. And that sounds like the most basic thing. And yet most cultures have a fear of failure. And at the end of life, if you talk to senior citizens, they have more regrets for the things that they didn't try than the things that they tried and failed at. So that would be where to start. Is there a culture that doesn't have a fear of failure? I feel like I've heard that a bunch, but almost every culture has a fear of failure. Is there any culture that's like, hey, failure is totally fine? Um, So what is unique is cultures that have no choice have the least concern. So you take a teeny little country where Waze came from, Israel, Here was a country surrounded by everybody attacking them where nobody would sell them stuff or ship them stuff. So they had to figure it out. Ooh, we have no water. Talk about a big problem. It's not like we have a drought. It's like our country has no water. What do you do? Okay. And what they ended up doing was they invented drip irrigation, which the whole world uses now, you know, desalinization. So the fear of failure was replaced by if you don't find a way to do it, everything's over. So it's your back against the wall, you know, necessity. The Americans actually have the most accepting of failure. So you were talking, we were talking about traffic and what stopped you. Imagine it's 1970s. Okay. And two guys have this idea straight out of high school. 
What if you hook up computers to traffic lights to synchronize traffic and reduce traffic? Genius idea. Would you agree, Jordan? Of course. Well, the company was called Trapo Data, and it went bankrupt because no city planner knew what a computer was. And Bill Gates and Paul Allen then started their second company, which was called Microsoft. This is a country where we will give money to people that failed on their first business or the second business. Henry Ford had three bankruptcies, okay? Walt Disney had several. The whole point is we embrace it because when you look at I Love Lucy or you look at Homer Simpson, the plot line is here's a get-rich-quick scheme. He tries it. It falls apart. And here's the key part in our culture, and life goes on. And so we no longer lead the world in scientists, in math, in engineering or education, but we do lead the world in entrepreneurs because we're more accepting of risk than almost any culture on earth. That leaves a lot of of opportunity for people who are hearing this, but I also feel like it adds limitations to people outside of America who might go, well, you know, I don't live in America, so. Yeah, so the challenge, and I, I lecture all over the world, is access to risk capital. VCs in this country have now doubled this year the amount of capital putting out there, but crowdfunding is now outpacing venture capital. So the idea that you have an idea that you can get other people behind it, that you can share it, you can put it on a platform, and you can see that you have a built-in customer base before you actually have any capital. And we see this with great products every single day. I saw one with a new innovation of somebody wanted to rethink what the carry-on suitcase was. And you're like, who really cares? What could you really do? And you watch this thing and it's it's funded $125,000 in five days. You go, wow, I have to have that suitcase. They solved a bunch of problems that none of us thought about because we just assumed that's the way the world is. You mentioned earlier about trying to kill your ideas. Tell us again why that's important. I'm not sure we dove into that and explored that because it sounds like a great way to demolish your level of confidence in the idea itself. So you have this foolproof idea, and I'll give you one that three guys had. It was called Tune In Hookup. Right when broadband came along, they said, wait a second, every dating site has a still picture. If we put up a video, you can hear their voice, you can see their personality. We're going to own online dating. We're going to make a fortune, right? So you go and you spend all your money and you build the thing and no one's using it and it fails, okay? What they could have done is gone and talked to a bunch of people and learned and seen what and iterated without spending any money. Now, in the case of their business, they got lucky because they looked at the data and even though nobody wanted to date these losers... Everybody wanted to show the videos to a friend of theirs of how bad the dating scene was, and they saw that there was traffic of people wanting to see the videos, not date the people. So they changed the name from Tune In Hook Up to YouTube and sold for a couple billion dollars in their oh, first wow. year in business. That's incredible. I had no idea that was the YouTube origin story. And virtually every business that I can share with you, it wasn't that somebody had this foolproof business plan. It got funded and it went. It is an iteration of exploring where no one has gone yet to discover what no one knows yet because your data will set you free. Your data doesn't lie. Your data doesn't have an opinion. And now you can really scale so quickly. You've got this idea. And the first thing you have to do is not to go to friends and relatives that want to cheer you on and wish you well. You know, more entrepreneurs are killed by praise than anything else. Go to who that actual customer is. They're busy. They have their life. They're doing something else. And ask them, would they use this product or why or why wouldn't they? What's wrong with this? Go and start talking to people that are actual users and you'll quickly discover 
in those conversations a whole bunch of things that you're going to discover anyway, but you can do it faster without spending the money and engineering or building the prototype or whatever your business might be. So that's where the zombie idea comes from. You keep on trying to kill it. And when the undead, the thing that can't be killed, that's when you now have enough data of why it can't be killed that raising capital becomes very easy. And you're now in business. I was going to say it must help with your pitch because the initial ideas or criticisms that somebody might have, you had already thought of at that point by asking every critic that you can find and giving it a beating yourself at that point. A hundred percent. Because people want to know that you've done your homework. People want to know that you know something. Most ideas sound on the first blush, hey, this sounds great, or otherwise you wouldn't have the meeting. But if they can suddenly in five minutes ask a question that you don't have an answer to that makes them go, huh, how does he not think of this? It doesn't matter if you solve it later. You look like a moron. Is this the process that you go through with your, your own ideas as well? I mean, you've raised hundreds of millions. Of hundreds, of, hundreds, hundreds of millions. Absolutely. Uh, I am the dumbest person who fails more than anybody else. I just keep on going to bat more often. So you go out and you really do it. And I'm also a person that billion-dollar ideas have come to me that I looked at and go, nah, I don't see it. So no one's ever completely right. But the more input you can have from actual users, and that's what's so great about crowdfunding nowadays. If you come up with this idea like the suitcase that's the big thing this week or this camera that I can't wait to own that's actually 16 digital cameras in the size of, of an iPhone so you don't have to carry a bunch of lenses on a safari or a sports photographer, you can go out and say, here's what we want to build. We haven't tooled it. We haven't done it. Would anybody buy this at this price? And suddenly you have a thousand customers that paid you in advance. You own a hundred percent of your company. So when you look at Oculus Rift, that, that virtual reality, crowdfunding funded this. The guy then owns a hundred percent of the company. And before he even ships, he sells for over a billion dollars. Not bad. Not bad at all. But doesn't that make you say, why me? Why not me? I mean, for me, I love what I do, and I might be one of the wrong people to ask about this, because I often think, would I do something else? Because I have a lot of friends who do a lot, of, they make tons of ridiculous amounts of money with their tech ideas. I live in Silicon Valley, so I'm around this constantly. And some ideas I get really excited about, and I thought, wow, you know, it'd be cool to work there, but I also see their lifestyle, and I'm not sure I want it. But I think a lot of the people that write into us would trade in a second, even for a job at a place like Uber, which is well known as kind of a sweatshoppy type place to work right now, just because it gives them a sense of purpose that they don't have working in corporate for forever 21 or whatever right. they're working for now. So the first third of the book is about finding your purpose and, and discovering who you really are. And that's taking off those limitations. That's really getting out of your comfort zone. And that same process that let you then discover you allows you to look at business differently. And if you're not motivated by business, how to do the same thing to change the world. So I'll give you a great example in my life of crazy big idea, you know, never going to happen. This is Jay before anybody knew Jay. I've got 20 employees. I have a little software company. But the web came out, and I really believe that the internet would provide equal access to knowledge if we could get it in every classroom in America. So I started speaking about it, writing about it, talking about it. And one day you're sitting in your office and you get a call from a guy doing a really bad impersonation of President Clinton. 
and you embarrass yourself because you make the most powerful man in the world prove to you that he's actually the president of the United States calling you. But you're like, why is the president calling me? I'm just a guy sitting in Los Angeles. And make a long story short, they love the idea, the president, the vice president, go make it happen. Uh, one catch, there's no funding to make this happen. There's no taxpayer money. But within 18 months, every classroom in the U.S. was wired. Everybody had access to the internet. And not one taxpayer dollar was used. That's what comes out of a big idea. It attracts big doers, big thinkers, and the world changes. This is a real thing that happened to you how many years ago? The 90s? Yeah, late 90s. Okay. And you talk at conferences, you write in trade publications, you start socializing that the power of the internet to take what used to be known as Brown versus School of Education, separate but equal, to make it completely equal. Everybody could have access to the same maps. I mean, everything that's obvious today because now we think everybody has a computer. Uh, but then it was pretty far out thinking, pretty crazy, pretty how you want to do it. And when I got invited to the White House and they said, go make this happen, you suddenly feel very empowered and you don't want to let down the president. You don't want to let down your country. You call everybody that you know, you expand the circle. And I'll tell you some of the things that came out of it. How are we going to raise the money? Well, you used to go to charity dinners where they'd auction off something. Why don't we get a bunch of stuff donated and auction it on the internet? We'll call it a netathon. It was the first time an auction had ever been done on the internet. We hired a kid named Pierre. He wrote the auction software. You know that auction software today as eBay. Okay. The people that volunteered are now people that you know very well. And my favorite story out of this was we did a press event where the president's pulling the Cat 5 wire through a school wearing the hard hat and White House photographer takes pictures. And as a thank you, I get from the vice president a signed autograph picture, you know, thanking me that will be on my wall forever in my office. But it's got another guy in it. It's not just a two shot. And I'm like, really? Wow, that kind of bums me. I wish it was just the two of us. I would feel important. I don't even know who this guy is. He's an out-of-work guy who volunteered. And then five or six years later, people were in my office and go, oh, you're friends with Eric Schmidt? <laughs> Pre-Google. So big ideas attract big minds. That's interesting. So you were hanging out volunteering, and Eric Schmidt happened to be there, but he was such a nobody, you didn't even pay attention. You just thought he was photobombing you. Yeah, he worked for Nobel, and you know, he believed in, in the power of the Internet. Incredible. All right. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. 
and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Back to Jay Samet. Now, if we're not entrepreneurs, we're not even necessarily idea people, and we're not interested in that, can we disrupt at work? Is there a value to disruption in the workplace? So if you believe that your industry is never going to change. So it's a fallacy. So whether by choice or circumstance, everyone's career, everyone's life gets disrupted. So you really have to say, well, this company, and you hear this all the time, God, this company is so stupid. Why aren't they doing this? The great ideas are in the company, and yet everybody's too afraid to bring them up, to go above their boss, to do what they want for fear of losing their job. You know, the classic example, the digital camera was invented by Kodak in 1975. And they stifled and tried to kill it because it didn't have the profit margins of film. Well, where is Kodak today? So the point is, unless you speak and try to change your workplace, most likely your company will go the way of Kodak. So what are you really risking? What you're risking is a life of fulfillment of actually doing something that you enjoy and having more fun in the job that you're giving up your life day by day to do. A lot of folks ask, hey, Jordan, look, you know, you've persevered through a lot of failure. You've done a lot of things. You used to be a lawyer and now you have this art of charm idea. How do I know if my business that I'm in now is not doing so well, if I should keep going or if I should quit? And I don't have a good answer to this because I fell into what I'm doing now, essentially. But I don't think anybody's really had a good answer to when to know when to quit because there's so much there's so much, especially in America and especially in the personal growth entrepreneurship community about, you know, you got to fail and it's okay and you just keep going and you never let anybody tell you to stop. But at some point, you might be banging your head against the wall and it's time to move on. How do we know when that time is? So for most businesses nowadays, you're going to have some source of data. You're advertising on Facebook, you're doing something on mobile, whatever your business is look at the data and data doesn't lie and it's cold and it's heartless and it'll tell you you know where where you are and it'll help you make that decision but it's not a binary decision it's not a i have to throw in the towel it may be as we talked about with the youtube example it may be that there's some pearl in that data that you didn't understand that you didn't see that has another use another likelihood um there was a huge push during World War II. The Japanese had all of Southeast Asia. We couldn't get any rubber for the war effort. You need it for tires. You need it for this. You need it for that. All our greatest scientists were trying to make synthetic rubber. And GE invented something with the same viscosity, everything, but it wouldn't hold its shape. It's the end of the war. They'd spent millions, tens of millions in today's dollars. And all that they have is the stuff that won't hold its shape. But 
one of the guys that saw it saw that nobody wanted to put it down. There was something fun about holding it. So I hired college kids on a weekend, put them in plastic eggs, went to Toy Fair and named it Silly Putty. He sold 300 million eggs of a failed war effort. So look at the data. Look at what insight you've learned from your journey. So even if what you were trying fails, you've learned something that will make you more successful. I guarantee it. How do we know then at that at which point, okay, we're looking at the data and we've got this rubber and we know that it's not going to be good for the war effort, right? We've got our app. It's not picking up traction. Is there a critical time or a critical massive data that we can look at and say, look, this is not going to be ways 2.0, but it's a really good way to track where your kids are or whatever. Or who else could use it or, or look at changing. So the big thing, let's talk about everybody that creates apps because I created an app that 100 million people use and it's the number one app with teens in the world, but 99% of apps lose money. Right. Look at the app and say, okay, if I don't have a way to do customer acquisition, if I can't rise above the clutter and it's very hard and very expensive, is there somebody else that would buy this off me? Is there a different use of it? Would this be a great giveaway for buy a pair of shoes, get this, get a, a Big Mac, get this free? Is there somebody who doesn't have the idea or the willpower to go that far, but has a budget that would use it as just you know a gift with purchase? So there's always another way to look at how to monetize. And it may not be the billions of dollars you dreamt of, but it'll have some value of somebody else in an adjacent field that could benefit from it. And how do we find that? You find it by seeing who else has a problem and who else. I call this, and I have a whole chapter in there called OPM, Other People's Money. And I'll give you a concrete example from my life, okay? Mm -hmm. Sony owned the Walkman. Sony ruled retail, had 14,000 locations. Along comes the iPod, they're toast. Sony's late to the game. How do you get the word out and compete with iTunes, okay? They were the game. So I said, yes, I'm a big company, but I don't have the budget to go after Apple the way Steve was spending. Who has a problem that I can solve for? Solve for the other guy. And I came up with two things that were in the papers and in the news that have problems. United Airlines wanted to come out of bankruptcy. And Spurlock had a movie called Super Size Me that was killing McDonald's top line. What does that have to do with the digital download music store, you're saying? Nothing. How do you connect the dots? Well, buy a Big Mac, get a free track. That would mean McDonald's would spend $60 million on TV commercials. And the only way to get that free track is to come to my store. So they would drive millions of people to my store. And United, a bigger stretch, has tons of people not flying it because it was in bankruptcy. But they have enough frequent flyer miles to do nine round trips to Pluto, allow you to use your frequent flyer miles to buy popular music and have every flight on United, we did a concert in the sky with Sheryl Crow, and have that concert play on every flight for a month. 20 million customers came to my store the first week. Cost of doing those two things, zero dollars and zero cents. That's insanity. By the way, what business is that? Are you allowed to say? Yeah, it was called Sony Connect. Sony Connect, okay. Because I've never even heard of that, but that means nothing, because it sounds like something that would be used on a PC, right? It was something that was used for a brief period of time. Interesting. So it's, it's basically looking at the problem or looking at what you have in a different way. It's looking for your own silly putty. It's, yo, I'm going to steal that line. Go ahead. 
That should have been the name of the book, Looking for Your Own Silly Putty. Now, what it really is, is here's the fundamental mistake that people make in business. And I used to make this for my entire 20s and 30s. I'd walk in totally prepared to an IBM and Intel and anybody. I've got the solution that'll make your company money, do all these things for your company, company, company. No one cares. You just have to solve for the human being across the desk. What will get them their promotion? What will make their life easier? Everything in business is about solving for the other person. If you can solve for them, it solves for you. Right. No one was coming, knocking on McDonald's CMO's door saying, I can save you. No one was. His only tools were spend more money on advertising or do, you know. So you may have an idea that the biggest company in the world has the resources to bring to market, but doesn't have the idea. And guess what? The beauty with OPM is they don't want a piece of your company. They don't want you to pay back that money. And in the McDonald's example, once we proved that it worked with McDonald's, I turned to, and I'll, I'll give the shout out to him, a great guy to work for me named Jeff Campbell. I turned him loose to do what I call rinse and repeat. If it works for McDonald's, I want a list of 100 companies that this works for. Make it happen. Buy Big Pens, get a free download. Buy Tampons, get a free download. I kid you not, I did all of those. And next thing you know, you have tons of companies. Get a free album when you buy $25 at American Eagle. You know, you suddenly have everybody spending their ad budget to drive people to your store. Brilliant, right, because it's a rewards-based program that you're just letting them come along for the ride. So you just made a dog walking app and no one wants to pay for it. Maybe Alpo wants to give it away or Imes wants to give it away. So now it's on every can or every bag and now every dog owner knows about it. So there's always a different way to look at it. That's great. So we're looking at monetizing. You have to keep yourself open to that, though, because I feel like it's really easy to get blinded by, no, no, this is rubber for Jeep tires. This isn't the toy for kids. And that would have put the nail in the coffin. But instead, you have a multi-million dollar toy. But the bigger thing is people get locked into not thinking of other possible business models. So here's the simplest one, and this is also in Disrupt You, and, and the guy should be like, have a statue. This was so obvious and so genius. It's what I call a thigh slapper when you go, damn, why didn't I think of that? Magazines have a subscription. Your subscription runs out at the end of the year, and they email you and snail mail you and bombard you, and certain number of people subscribe and certain don't. That was the business model, right? Mm-hmm. The guy sat there and said, why not think of a magazine the same way as HBO or the phone bill or utility that it's just an endless every month on your credit card you're getting charged and it you'd have to proactively say, I no longer want to see People magazine. He went and invented this model and went out to magazine companies and made the arbitrage of what he could increase on his retentions and completely changed the entire industry with that simple thought. I love that. And it's always about keeping an eye on the different angle. And the way that we look for this is what problem does this solve for someone else, not necessarily your own issues. Yeah. And so Disrupt You is, is chalk filled with thousands of details. How to find the perfect job. I mean, I'll give you my own life. So I came out of college. I followed society's contract of I had the good grades and did everything right and the good test scores. And boom, it's a recession. Not only is nobody hiring me, but everybody out there has 10 or 20 years experience. And I'm like, Ooh, I didn't sign up for this, right? What do I do? So I had this vision that I wanted a job in the entertainment industry, but they never advertise those jobs. Somebody always has them already. How do you get the perfect job at a studio? So I went, and this is back before the internet, I wrote 
the perfect job description ad and put it in Variety, that I was hiring this mythical job. Why? To create two pieces of data. The first is I got a bunch of resumes of people that thought they were qualified for that job, which told me what type of place I should start at as my stepping stone to get that ultimate job, because all these people believed that it worked. The second was, I now had a list of companies that had employees with one foot out the door. So if I contacted the HR directors at those places with my resume, odds are some of these people will have already left and I'll get my first job. Is there anything that we haven't asked you yet that you want to make sure you deliver to the audience? Yeah. One thing that's important is is I, I so respect people's time and generosity of listening to this and you're giving me this forum that I want to give everybody a gift. I have a 40-page workbook that's a companion to disrupt you. If anybody goes to jsamet.com or at jsamet on Twitter and asks for it, I will email it to them for free, my gift. Yep, and we'll link that up in the show notes and everything as well. Thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for your time. It's always great to pick the brain of somebody who thinks differently. I appreciate the opportunity, Jordan. Have a great one. Hope everyone enjoyed that. Really interesting. I mean, it's funny to think about Jason, I'm, you must have had, because you were in this tech space for so long, I feel like I've had tons of these ideas and either wasn't interested enough or, like he said, like Jay said, just coming up with so many ridiculous obstacles and not taking the time to poke holes in them and figure out, oh, wait a minute, I could be the person that would make this work. I could assemble a team of people to do this if I'd had the confidence and taken the time to really fully examine the idea. Yeah, I really like the uh, the zombie idea cultivation. That was really good. Just keep nailing away at your ideas until you come up with something that just can't be killed. Yeah, because you ask the toughest critics, the harshest feedback will come back, and you, you take it, you internalize it, you figure out a way to sort of assuage that. And then by the time you're out pitching or you need to get capital or even when you're recruiting people and they come up with those same criticism, you're like, yes, and also we thought of that and tried to solve it, and here's what we've come up with. And you'll be able to get such an alliance on your side. And then, of course, if it's really there's just tons of things that can easily kill the idea and the answers are all unknowns, you either have a huge opportunity or you've got an idea that's really risky or both. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The shows of Fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone is a good fit, let us know. Guests at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Jay on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as his book, Disrupting You, and the other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap the album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm, posting a lot and interacting with you guys out there as well. Bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it, get in touch now, get some info so you can plan ahead. Review us on iTunes, join the challenge, either by text or at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. <laughs>